more than anything else in life, she wanted to become a mother. And yet month after disappointing month stretched into year after year, and her prayer was not answered. She continued living with that disappointment. She, she had a frenemy who couldn't seem to stop having kids and <laughs> making babies, and she threw that in, into her face. And her husband, like all husbands, meant well and tried to help, but struggled to find the right words. And, and he asked, well, am I not better to you than 10 children? <laughs> yeah, he didn't want that answer. No. <laughs> Every year, she would travel with her family to the house of God. There she worshiped and prayed. She would pour out her heart to God, open herself up and, and beg for her heart's desire. And I would imagine she couldn't help but wonder how it was, why it was that God had overlooked her. On, on one occasion when she was praying at God's house, the, the priest, the holy man was there watching her and then they had a, a brief conversation where he assured her that God had heard her prayer and would answer her prayer. And so she went back home and in the course of time, well, God did say yes to her request and she became a mother and she named her child a boy she called him heard by God. That was the meaning of his name. And when she was at the house of God praying, she had made a promise to God that if God would give her a child, she would give that child back to God. And what's even more amazing to me than the way God worked to give her a son is that this Mother kept her promise. When her boy that she had so longed for desperately was probably about three years old, maybe just a little bit older, she brought him back to God's house. They were members of the, the tribe of priests, and she dedicated her son back to God. And gave her son into the care of the high priest and his family, and, and her son would grow up serving in God's house and, and in a lot of ways being raised by the priest and by his sons and, and his family. But she loved her son dearly. And whenever she could, she came back to visit him at least once a year, and it may have been only once a year. And she would make clothes for him to bring him as a gift as he kept growing and getting bigger. When she would come visit every year, she brought him a new change of clothes that he could wear through the next year. This boy was born at a moment of significant trouble in his nation, the nation of Israel. And he grew up to become a prophet and a priest. His name heard by God is Samuel. And when Samuel sat down to write the story of what God had been doing with his people through, through kings and prophets and priests, and he wrote at least the start to the first book that bears his name, 1 Samuel, he started by writing about his mother, Hannah. He tells her story 
it, in the beginning of 1 Samuel, those first couple of chapters, you should go back and read it this week and get all the details. It's well worth your time. Hannah understood something about children that's very easy for us to miss, for me to overlook and to miss. In fact, Jesus' first disciples, his first followers, they missed some significant truth that Hannah understood and lived out with her own son, Samuel. We're continuing this series called Imperfect Disciple, where we're tracking along with Jesus' first group of followers, those 12 guys who answered the call to follow Jesus with their whole life. And we're learning with them as they keep blowing it, messing up and making mistakes and misunderstanding the point, getting it wrong, because you and I, we often do the same thing. And today, we're looking at a short little story where the disciples misunderstood Jesus and his relationship to children. And we want to come away with significant truth, with three significant truths about children that can change our perspectives. Now, I understand that today I'm talking to a diverse audience. Some of you are parents. Some are grandparents. Some of you have children in your families. Your, your aunts, you are an aunt or an uncle. But not everybody does. Some of you are you're single. There, there are no children that are a significant part of your life. Many of you, you are children yourselves. And the idea of parenting as well, it's a little distasteful to you, to be quite honest. That's okay. Uh, some of you, you're here celebrating Mother's Day with your mom, and, and we've still got a long way to go, okay? So you stick with me. But I promise that if you pay attention to this story that we'll look at and the truth that we draw from it, there's something here for every one of us. Whatever stage of life or situation of life you are in, there's something here for you. So ask God to to open up your eyes and see that truth that's, that's hiding there and waiting just for you because we're a little bit more like these first 12 disciples than we might like to admit. If you have your Bible with you or an app that you can open up or you're watching at home and you can get up, go, go pick up a Bible, open it up, and find your way to the Gospel of Mark. Use your table of contents in your app. Uh, we're looking at Mark chapter 10, and we're going to read just a few verses you can also follow along on the screens as I read. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, beginning in verse 13, as we explore this story about Jesus correcting his disciples regarding children. So one day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening... He was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I'm telling you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. And then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. This is one of a handful of passages in the gospel that I really like because Jesus is angry. And anger is one of, it's one of my core emotional responses. And so I like to see when Jesus gets a little bit angry, probably because I feel better about myself. 
Most of the time, when, in fact, every time that we see Jesus getting angry in the Gospels, it's because someone is preventing someone else from getting to him or from getting to God. And a lot of times when Jesus is angry, he blisters whoever he's angry with. And it's fun to read. One time he was angry with a fig tree because it looked like it was fruitful and it didn't have any figs. So he cursed it and it withered and died. I love that. That's just great. Wouldn't you you want to be able to do that? Another time, religious leaders were creating a bunch of made up rules that became fake barriers preventing people from getting to God. And he went after them. Another time, those, that same group of people, he called them hypocrites because their life was not matching up with their message. And so their life was causing other people to be disenchanted with God. And he, he called them tombs full of dead people's bones. He told them exactly what he thought about them. In this passage, though, when Jesus is angry with his disciples, he responds differently. I mean, we see that Jesus is very angry. He's indignant. And then he says, let the little children come to me. Don't don't you dare create a barrier for them because the kingdom of God belongs to them and to those like them. Jesus, when he's angry here, he did not break his disciples down. Instead, he coached them up. He corrected them gently by making his message and his mission and his aim very plain. And then he modeled for them the behavior that he was expecting from them and the way that he wanted them to interact with parents and children and families. Jesus was parenting his disciples. He didn't torch them for their mistake. Instead, he gently corrected them. He coached them up, and then he modeled the behavior. He was the example to them for how he wanted them to live regarding children. He's teaching us how to be a parent, even by his correction, by the way he dealt with his disciples. And in his his correction and in his modeling behavior, he revealed three significant truths about children that it's really easy for us to forget or to overlook. And I want you to hold on to these and and take them home with you and, and consider how these truths can make a difference in your life right now and tomorrow. The first principle for us, the first truth, children are briefly childlike. They're not children forever. It goes by really fast. Children are briefly childlike. There's a number I want you to remember. So this is the part in the service where you, everybody gets to guess how many marbles are in my jar and whoever's closest wins a trip to the Bahamas. (laughs) No, that's not happening. There's 936 marbles in this container. Remember that number, 936. That number is significant. Because from birth to age 18, there are 936 weeks of life. That's it. Children are very briefly childlike. 
So for a moment, I do want to speak really directly to parents and grandparents, to people who have children in their homes or a significant relationship with the, with the child because this goes by so fast. I want you to think about what's included in those 936 weeks. And I, I sat down and I spent some time thinking about <laughs> those weeks in the lives of my children. And, and like the parents who have brought their children to God and to the church this morning, those early days are full of the, the giggles and coos and first smiles and blowout diapers and late night feedings. I, and you were, I remember that so well. There were smells that I didn't know could come out of something so small and, and, and cute, but it happens. It's a real thing. And they're rolling over and the first steps that they take and the first words, taking walks with them and the way that they hold your hand and so readily and so willingly, looking for Blue's Clues when we would go for a walk or be in the supermarket, playing little games, playing games that only we knew about, reading them stories and reading them books and stories until they're telling me stories and reading books to me seeing their little works of art and how it changes as they keep getting older and becoming more advanced and they're, they're bringing those home and watching the performances that they would put on in our house with their costumes and then seeing them on stage and performing and all of the, the sporting events, the soccer and basketball and the track meets that just seem endless. I mean, they are long. But it all comes to an end. <laughs> It doesn't last forever. And in between all of those regular, ordinary moments, we have an opportunity to give our children gifts that no one else can give them. And I want to make a suggestion of two pairs of gifts that I hope to give my children and that I want to encourage you to find ways to pass on to your children too. The first is truth and grace. Paired up together. Jesus came to us full of both truth and grace. And as parents, we have an opportunity to teach our children right from wrong. It's, it's part of our sacred responsibility. And we want to do that. We want to train them in the way that they should go. We want to pay attention to that truth. But even more than teaching them and telling them about the truth, we want to live it in front of them. Because with our children, they're going to catch much more than we teach them. They're going to observe our life and our responses, the way that we talk to their mother or father, the way that we interact with them, how we go about our business and our work, the way that we respond when life is challenging. And we want to live the truth much more than we talk about it. And we also want to give them grace. We want to relieve some of the pressure in their life. For a lot of us, it's hard to remember what it was like to be a child growing up because it gets further and further away. It's a little bit harder than you remember it being. It's challenging to move through those different stages and ages and transitions. And so we have an opportunity to give our children the gift of grace and to remove some of the pressure, to create space where they're actually able to fail and make mistakes, and then find out how to make it right, and how to find forgiveness, and how to then move in a different direction. 
We want to give our children truth and grace. And I want to give my kids love and laughter. In our families, in our homes, we want our house and our home to be a safe place where our children know they are always loved and accepted. That there is nothing that they can do that will cause their parent to love them any more or any less. That they are always secure in that foundation of love. That starts a child off in a healthy way that, that nothing else can really replace. And I want to give my children laughter because there's enough tears in this world and in this life. And kids come with a lot of tears. I mean, they come out crying. And then all throughout life, they keep facing challenges that will bring tears to them. So I want to teach my children to laugh and to enjoy life and to take a positive outlook, even if they feel discouraged. And it's okay to be discouraged and disappointed. That's part of life. But I want to teach them how to keep laughing and moving and having an outlook on life that's coming from that secure place that, that God is with me and loves me. And this is going to be okay. So I want to have fun with my children and create that kind of safe place. And I hope you will too. 936 weeks. And then there's a cap and a gown and a short walk across a stage or down an aisle and they're gone. What gifts are you giving your children that they can walk away with when they're grown? What are you filling up those ordinary and extraordinary days with, because <laughs> you're going to lose all your marbles. <laughs> Every parent does. So what gift will you give your children? Ch children are briefly childlike, very briefly. The second principle for all of us to take away, children are a shared stewardship. This is something that Hannah realized that it's hard for me to live out and to really come to grips with. We think of our children as belonging to us, and we are very possessive because they are. They are our kids, and they are our responsibility. We're responsible for them, but they are a shared stewardship. Our children actually belong to God. They are a gift from God that he trusts us with. And we have that brief momentary opportunity to influence and shepherd them, but we do not do that alone. This is a shared stewardship. We, all of us, are part of a larger family where we have an opportunity to influence future generations and to help guide their hearts to resting securely in the love that God has expressed for them and to teach them how to love God. We share in that responsibility. George Ferguson was a man that I met when I was a teenager and he was in his 90s. George would arrive at church early. Uh, he came before pretty much anybody else and my dad worked for the church, which meant I got there early too. And I saw George sitting in the worship center one Sunday. I went over and talked to him and then we struck up a friendship. And for about three years in my teen years, I sat and talked to George just about every Sunday morning. Talked about all kinds of things. He was a fascinating individual. George was barely too young to participate in the First World War. 
So he joined the army after Pearl Harbor, the Second World War, and he was the oldest man in his unit. He was like a father to a bunch of young kids. He was actually close to my age now. When he, It's hard to imagine. And then he came back, and he had a career in our town, worked his whole life, and George was a bachelor. George never married. He was single all of his life, and he never became a father. He, he didn't have any children of his own. He lived a full and wonderful life. And for about three years, at a critical stage in my life and growth and development, George and I were friends. And we talked about his life. He, was, he had nothing to lose, so he'd tell you anything. And he would tell stories about mistakes he had made and choices that he faced, things he wished he would have done differently if he had another chance, and parts of his life that he really celebrated and enjoyed. We talked about faith and how he found his way to faith in Christ and how that worked throughout his life. George had a significant influence on me, whether he realized it or not. And every one of us, whether there's children in our home or or whether our parenting days are well behind us, or even if that's something we don't really see in our future, all of us share in a stewardship of the generations that are following. I don't know if you were paying attention earlier in the service, but you guys made a promise. I heard you. I mean, you promised to support these parents and families who are committing themselves to guiding their children toward growing in Jesus' love for them and in their faith and their relationship with him. Now, here at Grace Fellowship Church, this idea of a, of a shared stewardship informs the way, the way we run our church because in family life ministry, GFC is not the place where you as parents or grandparents outsource your children's faith to the professionals or to the volunteers for an hour or two on Sundays. We instead want to partner with parents to help children develop faith that's all their own. Uh, we're not the professionals where you're outsourcing to contractors to manage the faith of your kids. No, we want to come alongside you and partner with you because your kids live with you and we see them for a couple hours every week. And so we want to find ways where we can significantly influence children and students when they're here, but when we can also partner with you as you are shepherding the heart of your children. And this is a shared stewardship for every one of us. So I, I want you, I hope, that you'll explore how this can become part of your life, how you can be George to somebody else. So I want you to visit this link on our website. It's, you can also get here from the, from the homepage and, and find Family Life Ministry on the dropdown, but gfcnow.com backslash family life. You can explore and you can find the different ways that GFC wants to partner with parents to help children develop faith that's authentic and all of their own. And you can see how that moves through different stages of life, from early childhood with, with infants and toddlers and through the elementary stage, and then with students in middle school and high school, and also with children who are living with disabilities and how we can partner with them and their families, as well as adults 
who are living with and managing different disabilities, you can be part of influencing them and their relationship of faith in Jesus. So I hope you check this out because this is a significant opportunity for every one of us. You have the chance to make a difference in the life of a child. So how will you take on this shared stewardship? There's dozens of different ways. At the bottom of the, the pages here at Family Life Ministry, you can find a form you can click, fill it out. Someone can get in touch with you so you can learn a little bit more about ways we could help you do just that. Children are briefly childlike. They are a shared stewardship that belongs to every one of us. The third principle we find in this story with Jesus is that children are also our teachers. We work really hard to turn our children into adults and to try to get little children to behave as if they already are adults. But Jesus flips the script on his disciples in that story we read. He calls all those children to him and he says, don't prevent them from getting to me. And then Jesus, he, he raises the pressure a little bit and he says, unless you become like these children, you're never going to receive my kingdom. You're trying to make these kids become more like you and more like adults. I'm telling you, you've got to become more like them. The, the families who were bringing their children to Jesus, they were looking for that shared partnership and stewardship with Jesus and his disciples. And the disciples actually became a barrier instead of a partner. But Jesus said, gentlemen, disciples, you want to follow me? I want you to influence and to partner with and connect with these parents and their children because as you do that, you will be changed. These children can become your teachers. There are truths, there are principles that you will never know unless you become more like them, unless you start to see life through their perspective and their eyes just a little bit. So how do children teach us? What are different ways that our children become instructors for us, whether you're a parent or not? I think we could come up with quite a few different ways. I, wanna, I want you to consider three specific ways that children become our teachers, things that they teach us. They teach us to live first with awesome wonder. When children are young, Everything is new, and they can't help but be experiencing everything for the first time over and over, and it's amazing. And it's, it is wonderful to see the wonder in their eyes. I mean, I remember seeing, the, seeing fireworks reflected in the eyes of my kids when they were experiencing that and they were very young. I remember different, different things that they just thought were amazing and wonderful that were just common and ordinary to me. One of, my, one of mine, I mean, I remember the first time she tasted Pepsi. I mean, it was, it, I thought her head would come off her body. She had never tasted something like that before. And a little while later, we all regretted it. But she, and she still, she still loves, <laughs> still loves Pepsi. It's like she's after it. You know, it's her favorite thing. Children live with awesome wonder, not just about Pepsi, but the, about things that are even more important. In Psalm 8, I think David must have been looking through the eyes of a child just a little bit because he said, Lord, 
Lord, our Lord, how majestic, how big, how grand, how large and supreme is your name in all the earth. Through the praise of infants and children, you are building your fortress against your enemies. When I consider man, <laughs> what is man that you pay attention to us? And what are the children of men that you care about us? I look up to the heavens and I consider the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you put in place. Lord, you crowned us with glory and honor to let us rule over nature in your kingdom? How majestic, how big is your name in all the earth? We adults, we grow out of that sense of wonder about the grand bigness of who our God is and of this kingdom that he allows us to be a part of. And children allow us to live with awesome wonder. They teach us humble dependence. We want, and, and it's right for us to want our children to grow up toward independence. I mean, you can't pay their bills forever. And so you want them to move toward independence. But what we really want is for our kids to become independent of everything and everyone except for the Lord himself. Children, when they come into the world, they are absolutely dependent on someone else to take care of their every need. And they let you know about it. That's why they're crying, because they have to be bathed and changed and fed and sheltered. Everything that they need is provided for by someone else, and they're not embarrassed by that or ashamed by that. They don't try to hide it. And we grow out of that as adults because we learn to rely on ourselves and to make our own way. But we must learn that every one of us, whatever our situation in life is, we live with humble dependence on the good grace of our God. We are entirely dependent on him for our opportunities to work and earn and for our good health. Everything in our life comes from him and children remind us to live with humble dependence. And third, they teach us simple faith. There's nothing else like the simple faith and trust of a child. And there is an age, a stage of life, where they believe in their parents entirely. I mean, they, they think that their parents know the answer to every question and can solve every problem. Not long before, parents know nothing. But that's not what we're thinking about. We're thinking about the simple faith of a child. And God calls us to live with that same simple faith all throughout our lives. A, a, a pastor, Warren Wearsby, who passed away years ago, he said that children believe much but can explain very little. As Jesus followers, we're called to believe even when we don't understand. And even when we can't connect all of the dots and force it to make sense. We're called to live with simple faith and trust in our God. When we are wounded like a child who skins their knee, we're called to come back to our Father and allow Him to soothe our hurts because we're living with that simple trust in Him 
and in his good plan for us. Children are our teachers. Let the little children come to me, Jesus said. Don't create a barrier for them. And like Hannah, every one of us, we have an opportunity, whether we have children of our own or not, we can embrace that brief opportunity to influence the life of a child, to give them gifts that really matter and that are worth something, something significant, not just for this life, but, but for all eternity. Children become our teachers as we embrace that shared stewardship and responsibility that we all have for them. Like many of you, you know, today on Mother's Day, I'm pausing to express gratitude to my mother. If it weren't for my mother, my grandmother, her, her mother, and both grandmothers, I, I wouldn't be here. None of us would be here if not for their sacrifices. And, and part of my story is certainly the faith that my mother and grandmothers passed on to me that I'm really grateful for. Last year, I, uh, I bought a gift for my mom at Christmas time where she receives a question each week, a writing prompt that she responds to, and then she types her answer, tells a story, and I get it in an email, but it also goes into a database. And at the end of the year, all of everything she's written, her story is printed in a book. So it's kind of a selfish gift, um, which, you know, what can I say? And if you're looking for a late Mother's Day gift, you can see me afterwards. I can tell you where I got that. It's a digital gift, so it's real fast. I asked my mom if I could share with you just a few lines uh, that she wrote earlier this year. My, my grandmother, her mother, passed away. Her birthday was in May, near Mother's Day. And my mom, one of those writing prompts concerned memories of her mother. So I want to share just a few lines of what she wrote. I remember mommy making me speak plainly and telling me to sing and speak plainly and loud enough so people could hear me. She said if it wasn't loud enough for people to hear, there was no use to do it. <laughs> I remember mommy helping me with my penmanship. She made sure I had pretty, legible handwriting. I remember mommy holding my head and getting me a cool washcloth when I would be sick I remember mommy telling me not to act ugly. <laughs> I remember mommy reading me little golden books. My mommy loved Jesus. I recall hearing her testimony many times about the night she accepted Jesus as her savior at Third Street Free Will Baptist Church in Paintsville, Kentucky. Mommy taught me to love the Lord, live for him, and do my best to obey him. That's the best gift she gave me. So when some child is writing their story, and if you're fortunate enough to have a chapter or a paragraph, what will they say about you? What's the best gift that you could give to them? Lord, how majestic, how great is your name in this earth. You've 
ordained and decided that it's through the praise and the songs of infants and children that you're building your fortress that stands against the enemy. So help us to become people who are teaching our children to sing those songs. Give us the, the insight and the wisdom, the strength, the endurance, the fortitude to make our contribution to that song that stands strong against any enemy that rises up against you, against us. We're thankful for the people, for the mothers and grandmothers who have influenced us. We want to be those same kinds of people. Help us remember that you always take us up into your arms and you are putting your hand of blessing on us throughout all of our lives. And so don't let us create barriers for other people, for children to get to you, but help us to clear those barriers away and to let the little children come to you and make us influencers of them because we all want to participate in that song of praise. Lord, you are teaching us over and over. No matter how old we grow, that we are your children. So don't let us forget who we are and who we're connected with and who our parent is because what you say about us matters more than any of the other voices rattling around in our head. We want the little children to come to you. Help us to keep coming back to you as little children ourselves.